Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This is the Court Today replay on C103. A very good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. Delighted to see going through the papers this morning that a number of the papers picked up on our story yesterday when I was interviewing uh, Tyke Daly, the CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland, about the number of small nursing homes that have uh, closed. I mean, just in the last number of weeks right across the country, 12 nursing homes have announced their closure. And of course, from our own point of view here in uh, Cork, we were very much focused on the sad news of Strawhall Nursing Home in Formoy and their decision, a very difficult decision uh, for the owners of Strawhall to close. They've been in business since uh, 1988. And actually, I see in the uh, some of the papers today that uh, Cork East Adult Deputy Sean Sherlock He's described the decision to close the nursing home as devastating and he's actually called on the HSE to intervene. He says, I quote from Sean, this is a vital service and a mainstay of nursing home care in our community. He says the HSE must intervene to see if the service can be retained. And he says there's, there are not enough nursing home or respite beds in North Cork at the moment without the closure of one of uh, our nursing homes. And that was the point that I was making uh, to Ty Daly yesterday when a nursing home closes in a rural area it isn't a case of well you can just take the residents and they can go across the road to the other nursing home that's in the area in many cases there'll only be one nursing home in that area uh, so we really need to fight to keep those nursing homes uh, going so as I say a number of the papers picking up on that story this morning but the story that has my jaw I didn't need to pick it up off the floor is the story that's coming out from about Irish dancing and fish fixing. I mean, did, did I ever think that I would even hear the phrase of fish fixing to even think of little girls and boys heading along to Irish dancing and that any kind of fixing could go on. Now, I'm not saying that it's happening when the local parish holds a fish, that there's any fixing going on there. But certainly when you dig into this story, it looks like as you go up along the ladder and you get better and better at Irish dancing. And in order to get better and better at Irish dancing, we have young people that have to put in hours and hours and hours of uh, practice. And it's looking from this story, if it turns out to be true, that no matter how many hours of practice your son or daughter puts in, they're never going to succeed unless they're with the right dance school. And uh, according to reading the Irish, Irish uh, 
Independent have a big front page story uh, on it and, and they're giving a lot of coverage uh, to it. They're saying that Irish dancing judges have been accused of fixing competitions and some of them it seems have been allowed to continue overseeing major competitions even while this investigation is going on. The uh, on Commission Larinka Guelga, they're the they're the CL. RG. They're what's known as the prestigious global body and it governs Irish uh, dancing. It's been rocked this week by what's believed now to be the largest ever alleged cheating scandal. It has seen some of the most successful and well-regarded Irish dance teachers and Irish dance schools accused of fixing competitions for their uh, students. Now the CLRG, this uh, Commission of Irish Dancing, they declined to, to clarify uh, if judges accused of cheating will oversee any up and coming competitions, families who have already paid out hundreds and at times thousands of euro for flights, for accommodation, for costumes. Don't forget the wigs for the girls when it comes to the Irish dancing. There's all the entrance uh, fees. Many of those families now have literally been left in dismay because they don't know if their children will be dancing in what what should be a fair competition. The Commission this week announced that it had appointed a former judge to oversee an investigation into the cheating allegations. So the fact that they have uh, appointed somebody and they've set up an investigation, they're obviously taking it very seriously what has now been leaked out. It's Now, how did it all leak out? Well, you've got to go back to July of this year. Screenshots of text message conversations showing not one Irish dance teacher, but 12 different Irish dance teachers uh, either asking for are offering for adjudicator to fix a competition. Now, seemingly they were all handed over to this Irish Dance uh, Commission. But despite this, a number of the teachers named in the text have since been allowed to go on and adjudicate in major and minor competitions. Now, the Irish Independents say separate to that, they've seen other screenshots which haven't yet been seen by the Irish Dance uh, Commission, which appear to implicate at least another six dance teachers. The teachers, some of whom are based here in Ireland, were both asking for and offering to, inadvertent commas, fix the fashion. In one case, a dance teacher and a competition judge appeared to be exchanging sexual favours for higher scores. The Dance Commission said that its ethics committee had received allegations with supporting docu- documentation of several grievous breaches of what they call their code of conduct. It said such unethical behaviour cannot, will not be tolerated by the organisation. So the Commission said that due to the potential extent of the allegations they've hired, a former Court of Appeal judge they've gone right to the top here, to oversee and to supervise the immediate investigation into the matter. They then say that there will be a full and open act, they'll give full and open access to the resource and records of uh, the uh, Commission. Now, Irish dance teachers adjudication, now what happens at the moment is, you have Irish dance teachers and obviously many of them run dance schools themselves, but they also act as adjudicators at dance competitions and that's the way it's always been and I don't really have a problem with that because, you know, who is better to adjudicate than someone that has been teaching it and you know and knows how you know a particular dance should be danced so you have the Irish dance teachers 
adjudicating the dance competitions. Now that's right from from the fashion out right up to the major events and we have a lot of major events in this country. I mean we've got the All-Irelands and of course uh, we also uh, do we host every year the World Irish Dance uh, Championships. Anyway, it's understood that one of the dance teachers alleged to have been involved in the current scandal had previously been accused of interfering with scores at competitions. In another case, texts show one teacher begging a judge to make sure that their student won in a competition that was due to be held the next day. And seemingly in the text it says, I really need your help and friendship tomorrow. I'm really praying, and then the name of the student will win. I need your help for this to happen. The the dance judge warns that it would be difficult to avoid giving top marks to another champion dancer, who obviously was also named in the series of texts, but instead suggesting, suggested keeping 25 marks between the teacher's student and another competitor. Then records of the same competition on the following day show that the judge in question tied the champion dancer and the student that was named with top points while doing exactly what she said she'd do, keeping 25 points between the students and her next next, uh, closest competitor. Now, in response then to a number of queries from the Irish Independent, it said it was regrettable, this was to the Commission, it was regrettable that the matter has been aired in public now, least it compromises the Commission's own investigation into the matter. I'd say they are raging because there is a kind of a feeling that their dirty laundry has been washed in public. It has just got that kind of a feel to it. They say, we are aware of the allegations against a number of members circulating on social media, but they say allegations without evidence are, are simply that, allegations. By the way, there is no mention uh, in any of the texts of money being exchanged. So it isn't like, you know, if you look after me, I'll give you a little bit of a brown envelope. It's nothing to do with that. But so you wonder then, well, why does the fish fixing going on? Current and former Irish dancing teachers and competitors uh, who spoke with the Irish in Independent. Now, all of them did it on the condition of anonymity. They pointed out that a school with a reputation for success. Guess what? they can generate more in fees. So ultimately, if a school has a lot of winners, that school is going to do well. They obviously will probably have a waiting list for children wanting to join because the parents will want their child to be associated with the school that's perceived to be so good that it's getting all of these winners. The Irish Independent then attempted to contact the 18 dance teachers who they had identified in the screenshots. One dance teacher responded and claimed that the newspaper was definitely mistaken. But when the newspaper sent back screenshots of a conversation showing the same teacher uh, discussing fesh fixing to the students, guess what? The teacher stopped responding. The Irish Independent then spoke with numerous parents of children who completed in fashionists throughout Ireland. They spoke of unusual scoring patterns at competitions. They spoke of cosy relationships between teachers and uh, judges. And then one woman, again, who's remained anonymous, she said that she ended up having to make the very painful decision to withdraw her daughter from competition. And this was after 10 years of committed dancing on behalf of of her child. She explained that her child took up dancing at the age of four 
and continued dancing for for 10 years. And she said in the early days, she was winning uh, fashioners, but then she sort of moved up and started going into the, uh, the you know, the higher grade and the open uh, competitions. And she said they were traveling. I mean, they traveled to uh, to the UK. And she said she remembers traveling uh, to one particular competition in the UK. And she said she did notice there was this reception on the first night where she said you could clearly see that the teachers and the adjudicators were socializing together. So I don't know whether alarm bells started to ring for her for her then but she said her daughter went was was in this competition but they were from a very small school and their school none of their teachers unfortunately were uh, adjudicators and guess what none of the kids from their little dance school won anything and she said she literally straight away after that first trip could see that if you didn't dance for a particular school then guess what you weren't going to do good in this game and uh, she said every year after that they continued in competition because her daughter absolutely loved dancing and her daughter was the type who just practiced and practiced really hard she said they were spending at least least 15,000 euro a year on this. What you know, Irish dancing at the end of the day for a child of that age is a hobby. So it's an expensive uh, hobby. She said her daughter continues to practice hard. And then she said they started to realise that no matter how hard her daughter practiced and no matter how many dance lessons uh, she went to, there were certain kids she was never ever going to beat and she said driving back from some of these competitions her child would be very upset crying because she would know in her heart and soul the little girl that she had danced better than somebody else who had been placed ahead of her and as her mum her mum knew it too and she said at the age of eight she said I had to explain to her about the politics of it all and she said it really broke my heart anyway they continued going until the child was about 14 and then eventually mum decided mum pulled the plug I mean the dad at one stage said we might as well be throwing the money that we're spending every year down the toilet and she said her only regret now is looking back that she should have pulled the plug years ago she said the teachers congregate at the bar at the end of the day at all of these major competitions and guess what they're all celebrating their success she said while the rest of the broken parents have to console their disappointed kids she said it all felt so wrong it's just one of those absolutely incredible stories and as I say I never thought that I would see the day that I would be talking about fish uh, fixing, but let's wait. It'll be interesting to see when this um, this former court of appeal judge comes out and and see see what that judge actually uh, finds out. But it's interesting the fact now that some parents are starting to come forward. One wonders will more and more start to come out of the woodwork will more people start to say what they have seen and what they have noticed uh, over the years only time will tell 0818 103 103 and I don't as I say I don't know I know there will be many families listening to us whose sons and daughters maybe are already in the Irish dancing scene or who've gone through that Irish dancing scene but it does look like a lot of people for whatever reason they're nervous about going public and uh, talking about it with the threat of self-disconnection from your electricity supplier the government appear to be scrambling to get emergency payments to pay as you go meet your customers will the community welfare officers be able to cope this winter Cork Solidarity TD McBarry is critical of the proposal and uh, he joins me good morning to you Mick 
Hi, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, just firstly, I was reading that there are already 125,000 customers who are already behind on their electricity bill. That's a worrying figure. And I'm assuming you would be worried that that number will grow this winter. Yes, there was uh, information given uh, to an Eroctus committee when uh, Electric Ireland, the supply wing of the ESB, were in during the week. Uh, 125,000 uh, customers uh, in arrears. And I don't think it t- takes a rocket scientist uh, to work out that with uh, winter, with the squeeze on uh, people's incomes with the cost of living crisis, and in particular with the massive hikes in uh, gas and electricity prices, that this is a number that's bound to rise. Now, the Taoiseach at the weekend uh, says pay-as-you-go customers would not be disconnected and that they'll be able to access supports at their local welfare office. You say this is unjust and unworkable. Explain to me why. Okay, well, it's unworkable because the uh, Community Welfare Office service has been severely cut back in the last 10 years. I mean, at one time, there was nearly 900 community welfare officers in the state. Now it's barely over 300. Uh, And a lot of the offices, particularly in rural areas, uh, have been uh, shut down. So if the Taoiseach is saying that, um, you know, people who face disconnection on the pay-as-you-go system need to go to their community welfare office, the offices will be jammed, the queues will be going out the door, and the people who try and make phone calls will be probably waiting over an hour uh, to be connected. It's already at 40 uh, minutes. So it's not practical, but also it's not just. You know, many people experience going to social welfare and asking for an additional needs payment as a humiliating experience. Mm. Um, And I think that a lot of uh, people uh, will decide to uh, take a temporary disconnection rather than to be forced down that road. And I'm worried in particular that mothers will decide, okay, I'll, I'll feed uh, the kids, but I'll skip meals myself. It's the heating or eating situation. And um, Taoiseach's proposal don't, doesn't really help it. Yeah, because I know only last week, the week before, we were talking about the Community Welfare Office uh, officer and a listener in Mitchellstown contacted us to say their nearest community welfare officer uh, works out of Clonmel and that they would have to go to Clonmel and she'd been trying, couldn't get through on the phone and she said that she would have to go to Clonmel in order to access uh, whatever funds uh, she needed. So I mean if we are to look at what the Taoiseach is saying, let's use the community welfare officers, then we need a hell of a lot more of those offices to open up. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not going to happen in the next couple of weeks uh, in time for this. So it's not a practical solution. It's not a just solution, and there needs to be a fair alternative found. I I, I addressed the Taoiseach in the doll when was it yesterday, the day before, and I gave him three relatively straightforward alternatives uh, as ways of doing this. Okay, um, give us those alternatives. Okay, well, the first one is that if you're a a pay-as-you-go customer, uh, say on gas, and you want to switch over to bill pay, and there is a moratorium on disconnections operating for bill pay, you have to pay a €199 fee, right? For what? So scrap the fee. Hang on, for what? (laughs) Well, it's it's something that was put in there to help the the pay-as-you-go companies, the likes of uh, Penergy and and, um, uh, prepay power. 
You have to pay to switch um, back from a pay as you go to a bill pay. Yeah, 199 euro on gas, right? Yeah, check it out. Go to the CRU website and, and have that a look is, at it. I mean, that is that is bizarre. There's exceptions if you've got someone in the house who's who's you know needs a medical device that runs on electricity and stuff like that. But for for the bulk of people, that is the way in which it works. So that's an obstacle. Scrap the obstacle. That's a simple okay. solution. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just seeing as well. It's the same for ele- for electric customers. It can be as high as 160 euro in some cases. Oh, there's there's there's, there's a whole multiplicity. Wasn't of, uh, aware of that. Wasn't aware of that. Okay, go on. Yeah. That's one. Okay, get rid of that. You learn something new. You do. You do, you do indeed. You do day. indeed. Okay, so scrap that <laughs> charge and allow people to go back to bill pay, because then at yeah, least exactly. they know they can't you know, be disconnected. Okay. Second solution. The, thing you could, the second solution is. There are certain uh, rules about disconnecting pay-as-you-go customers. Uh, you can't uh, be disconnected on a bank holiday. You can't be disconnected on a Saturday, Sunday, that type of thing, right? Okay. So you just change the rules to say from here until the end of the winter, uh, no one can be disconnected on a day that has a Y in it. So Simple. <laughs> so, yeah, every day of the week, uh, clever, Okay. All right, so just end disconnections for that for that for the same period that's in place, the moratorium that's in place for bill pay. Do the same for pay as you go customers. Yeah, and during COVID, um, pay as you go customers got a. You see what happens on the the pay as you go is let's say you put in twenty euro and the machine starts beeping when you've two euro left. The machine beeps again when you're down to zero, and then you get an emergency credit. The emergency credit now stands at twenty euro. But if you don't top up by the time the 20 euro is gone, then you're disconnected. Or as they say, you're self-disconnected, which is really insulting term, you know, putting the responsibility and the pressure onto the shoulders of the customer, right? Mm. Um, but in any case, um, there was an emergency credit of 100 euro on gas during COVID. They could go for a bigger emergency credit uh, this winter. But the companies don't want that because they're concerned that they'll be a lot of debt uh, at the end of the winter and they won't be able to pay it back. Um, uh, and in fairness, many people would not be in a position uh, uh, to pay it back. But the priority here is not protecting the profits and the interest of the pay-as-you-go customers, the, or uh, the, the pay-as-you-go companies. The, the priority here has to be protecting the customers so as they c- can put heat their homes, cook their meals, and not have old people freezing in their homes this winter. That is the bottom line here. And have you a third solution? Yeah, the third one was you extend the emergency credit uh, uh, like you did uh, during the COVID oh, pandemic. All right, okay. okay. You know? Now, I, I know the CRU, uh, they say that the, the current pay-as-you-go meter system, uh, because of the way it's set up, they can't identify the reasons why the meter hasn't been tom- topped up. Some might decide to not pay rather than can't pay. Would you would yeah. you would you accept that there will be people out there that will if they think they can get away with not paying, uh, people who who are able to pay they'll scam it and say well sure why should I I'm not going to get disconnected. Yeah, but they would still have a debt. It's not free electricity or free gas. They would still have a debt, and in fact the pay as you go companies have a system where if you have a debt uh, and you make a a, a top up on your bill 
a certain percentage of it has to go on the debt repayment, you know. Yes, yeah, so no, no, um, nobody's getting it free. What about vulnerable uh, households? Could they not be given a certain amount of free electricity, Mick? You know, similar to what we do, what the pensioners get under the household benefits package. Could we not well, look at that? That's a very interesting question, Patricia, yeah. Um, I mean, at the moment, the definition of a vulnerable customer is someone who is medically vulnerable, okay? So, you know, someone who needs uh, electricity overnight to charge up a wheelchair, someone who needs electricity overnight for a CPAP machine for sleep apnea. That's the definition of vulnerable at the moment, right? Um, But it's a very narrow definition. Uh, It covers people who, for example, have a sleep apnea. It doesn't cover people who suffer from the problem of poverty and who are financially vulnerable, Right. Mm. Um, so what about an, an, el- an elderly, I- an elderly person living on their own in a very rural area? To me, is is the definition of vulnerable. Exactly. Exactly. They may not have a medical condition, but they 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 are very vulnerable. And your example actually cuts to a very interesting point, very important point, because uh, the statisticians uh, have a thing which they describe as excess winter deaths. Right. Essentially what they do, they take three or four months, three months of winter, and they compare it to an average three months in the remainder of the year. And they say, how many extra deaths are there throughout the population as a whole? Right. Mm -hmm. So excess winter deaths. And these deaths are commonly described as being caused by the cold, cold weather, etc. And of course they are. But equally, they're caused by poverty and by the inability of people uh, to have the wherewithal to heat their homes. And scandalously, uh, our state um, is consistently uh, at the top of the table, not always the highest, but always in and around the top of the table for excess uh, winter deaths. Um, And... You know, if that's been the case in the past, you'd have to be very concerned about what the position uh, is going to be uh, uh, this winter. Yeah, but so yet, the go- are- but yet, Mick, the government will come back and say to you, "Look, we're, we're doing our best." There's the 600 euro in energy credits. There's lump sum payments of 400 euro for people who are have a fuel allowance. There's going to be a double week uh, payment at in October and another one at uh, Christmas. Working family payments are getting an extra 500 euro. People on care support grant are getting that for for families with children. There's a double child benefit. So, so, so you know, they're really trying to help out families that are struggling. OK, so there's two key points there, right? The, the first one is it would have been a better option uh, to implement price controls uh, and to peg gas and electricity prices uh, at where they were last year, maybe mid-summer before the, the big price increases started to uh, kick in. And to combine that, with the nationalization or in reality, the renationalization of the energy industry in this country so that it is, uh, it doesn't give a blank check for profiteer, for profiteering energy companies, but the state controls it. Uh, and so go back to one, to go back to one energy company like when, when we only had the ESB. Well, when we, when we only had the ESB, uh, we had much cheaper gas and electricity in this state we were told that when the esb state monopoly was ended 
that it would encourage competition mm. and that's and that uh, consumers would benefit. Down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but then the ESB were told uh, you have to increase your prices sharply because if you don't, the private companies won't be able to compete with you. So it's been a bad deal uh, for ordinary consumers, and uh, I would not have a problem uh, with going back to that uh, to that uh, uh, situation. Nationalising. The second uh, thing about, about saying that the, the government are, are, are doing uh, everything in, in their power is that they've announced um, a moratorium on disconnections, but they haven't given any clear indication as to how the moratorium on disconnections is going to apply to a huge number of bill pay customers throughout the state because the 200 euro uh, and the, the, the extra... Uh, the extra uh, concessions there. Uh, will that get many pay-as-you-go customers through the winter without disconnection? Yes, it will. Uh, will it get all of them? No, nowhere near it. There will still be loads of people who, who will say, uh, well, look, that's helpful, but it's nowhere near enough uh, to cover the cost for, for my household, for my family, and for my kids. And if the, if the best that the Taoiseach can say is you know, go down to the community welfare office and ask for an additional needs payment. It, it's 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 just not going to cut it, as I said. OK, OK. It's and and, and, I, and, I, and I do know I do know we heard from uh, at least one listener who went to a community welfare officer looking for help with an electric bill and was told sure the 600 euro energy credit is coming and she, and she didn't actually get the money that she needed at the time. So I think they I think you're right. I think community welfare officers are going to be absolutely swamped. OK, listen, I'll leave it there. And Mick, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Yeah, this one will run and run, Patricia. Let's, let's talk again it, We will indeed. Cheers. We will indeed. Thanks for that. Bye-bye. That is uh, Cork City Solidarity TD McBarry. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Fianna Fáil MEP Billy Kelleher has said that farm families in Ireland would be at risk of failure if the current proposals for the European Commission to include small farms under the scope of the industrial emissions directives are adopted and Billy Kelleher joins me to explain more. Good morning to you Billy. Good morning. Now I suppose first as best you can in layman's terms can you explain why this emissions directive would have such a bad effect on small farm families? So so the industrial emissions directive was originally proposed to address large-scale industrial complexes with regard to environmental standards. Uh, you know, that will be large um, energy-generating energy systems, uh, massive industrial complexes across Europe. Uh, there is now a revision of that particular directive, and they're talking about reducing uh, the, the standards and the size of what will be included in scope. And that will include uh, dairy farms of 120,000 plus. Uh, so that is why I'm raising the issue uh, at this particular stage. It is only a proposal. But certainly we have a lot of work to do to address this issue because it will have a profound impact on the viability, the profitability of dairy farms across Ireland and across Europe if they are included in this new uh, industrial emissions directive proposal. But, but do you think it's the right move for the, for the larger uh, yes, industrial well, installations? Larger, yes. But I mean, we have to define what larger is, Patricia. And I mean, when we are talking about 150 livestock units, uh, that basically is uh, the average 120 cow dairy farm plus replacement uh, coming into uh, the scope. 
And that then would mean that they would have to have higher standards than uh, a farm with 110 cows, for example. So it would uh, force them into an area where they would be inspected by the Environmental Protection Agency once every three years, as is proposed. Uh, they would have higher obligations in terms of uh, pollutant emissions, and they obviously would have greater capital costs. And this is the co- issue of concern that I have. B- bear in mind, Patricia, most uh, family farms you know, are run by um, the retiring generation and the incoming generation. So in other words, you have two families uh, on the one farm. Mm. And farms have to increase in size uh, to support two uh, farms and to support that Two families, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, I believe that if we cap it at 150 livestock units, that's 120 cows plus replacement, that it effectively would mean that those farms could very quickly become uh, unviable to support two families and to invest uh, in it to what is required to meet the new conditions and obligations if they're included under the directive. So if 150 is the wrong figure, what would you set it at? Well, certainly I would be talking into the twos and threes hundreds because we're talking about an industrial emissions directive. We're not talking about an average family farm. So, I mean, I certainly believe it would have to go, you know, you'd have to go up quite substantially. So we would be taking intensive uh, dairy farms into account. But this doesn't even take into account whether or not you are intensive or otherwise. I mean, you could have 150 livestock units on 200 acres um, and that that would be, you know, in the scope of this particular proposal. So I do think we have a, a lot of work to do and uh, the, the Minister for Agriculture and the, the, the farm organisations in Ireland, a couple of ourselves, we have to try and uh, address this issue. Otherwise, dairy farming in particular in Ireland and, and larger beef farms as well uh, will come into scope. It will put huge pressure on farms, capital costs, investment uh, and, and increased spending that, you know, would make them unviable. OK, and where, where are we at with this directive? I mean, is there, is there, is there time to change it? Well, yes. I mean, the Commission has uh, put out its proposal. Um, it is talking about bringing these farms into the scope of the Industrial Emissions Directive. That is being reviewed as we speak. And uh, then the Parliament will have to discuss it. Um, it will have to go through the various committees. And then it will have to go through the, the Council as well, where the Minister for Agriculture and Environment will obviously okay. have a role as well. OK, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on this. And just where we have you on the line, just on a, on a different topic, you're concerned about a warning that came from the British Gas Electricity Office. This was to do with gas shortages in the UK uh, this winter. We need to worry, don't we, about that warning? Well, look, I think the government should be trying to address it rather than uh, the Irish people having to worry is, would be my, my own view. I mean, what we have to do um, is to ensure that we are not completely dependent on gas that comes from the UK. 70% of all the gas we uh, use, both in terms of generation and heating and everything else, comes via the UK. And uh, Ofgem, that's the Office for Gas and Electricity uh, Market in the UK, have said that the UK could be under pressure this winter in terms of providing enough gas for itself. Uh, and that really would mean that we're at the end of the pipeline when it comes to gas supplies. Uh, and it's just an issue of concern. It could mean inflated inflated pressures, prices. Uh, and that in itself is just, uh, I think, grossly uh, irresponsible for us to be put in a position like we, that. We need storage so, facilities for, for liquefied natural gas. I mean, that would be one solution. Well, yes, but obviously by the time we have those up and running now, this winter will be well passed. But we should certainly look at uh, entering into agreements with the UK in terms of using uh, their LNG facilities, which they have a massive amount of uh, uh, in, in Great Britain. 
uh, where we could actually put in supplies in there. Uh, we certainly should be looking, obviously, in the short and medium term at these floating devices that uh, can be brought near a shore, uh, can be supplied in by uh, LNG, and this can be regasification systems right into the gas grid. There's a myriad of options out there, and we have to explore them all. It's happening now in Germany and other countries around uh, Europe that are you know, under pressure because they don't have gas coming from Russia anymore and they're using LNG, and they're using this particular facility, which would be ideally suited to Ireland in the short term until we go along and develop uh, longer-term strategies around LNG storage and obviously renewables. So the planning needs to be put in place now because you know, because we were already talking about the possibility of power outages, so do what we can do now to offset any of those power outages. Yes, Patricia, I just think that we're at risk are being found out in terms of our capacity to generate enough electricity to keep the lights on effectively right through the, the winter. And, you know, if we had any um, difficulties in terms of even one or two plants uh, out for a period of time, we could be in significant uh, trouble. So uh, I, I don't want to be alarmist, but I just want to be cautious and, you know, put in place measures that could alleviate the pressure that could come on. And bear in mind, we're a first-world economy. Um, the idea that we couldn't sustain... Um, the electricity demand would would really damage our uh, perception, our reputation internationally. So we have to be very conscious that it would impact on citizens, obviously, immediately, but it would also damage our reputation internationally as well from the point of view of investment. OK. All right. We'll leave it there, Billy. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Fianna Fáil MEP uh, Billy Kelleher. 0818103103, just on the farm families. Mike says, as a farmer, I welcome this decision to licence intensive farms where over 150 livestock units are held. Uh, now, Mick describes them as these factory farms have destroyed the traditional small family farm with their greed and things have only got worse since milk quotas were abolished. Stocking rates are far too high. Terrible impact on water quality. We had 500 pristine rivers 30 years ago. That number is now down to 20. Uh, Anyhow this emissions directive is about putting a ceiling on ammonia and methane which has a very negative impact on human health resulting in dementia, cancer, etc. Why do we always knock what the EU propose when they legislate? It's in the best interest of all of its citizens. And that's from Mike, who describes himself as a farmer. He is against what Billy is saying and he actually welcomes it. OK, we're going to take a break. We've news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I'm just getting calls in to say the crews are on site in Clonakilty this morning. They're repairing a burst water main. So anyone in the Clonakilty area having problems with your water, that's the problem. Uh, but Irish Water are working to sort it out. Tomorrow is going to be our first Friday in October for the C103's Free Fuel Friday that will run right across this month. Every Friday we'll be giving away 100 euro fuel vouchers and they couldn't come at a better time for sure and we'll be giving them away right across the day. 
You'll have to listen in tomorrow. We'll be asking you to identify the star in the car. And then once you think you've identified the star in the car, we'll get you to text our WhatsApp. And by doing that, you'll be in with your chance of winning. That's the C103's Free Fuel Friday with East Cork Oil. They serve Cork City and County and indeed right across Munster. If you want to check out the locations, you can online at yourlocaloilcompany.ie. Always local, only on C103. Looking forward to a bit of fun with that tomorrow and indeed every Friday. Best of luck uh, to you. You could be winning one of those €100 fuel vouchers. Now, some of your calls and comments coming in. Firstly, number of people have been on uh, reacting to Mary in Mill Street who contacted us at the top of the programme. Mary has to bring somebody, I'm assuming a member of her family who is a wheelchair user, needs to bring them to CUH uh, from Mill Street and then obviously return journey back to Mill Street. She's gotten on to a few taxi companies that she's been quoted €400 and she really is taken aback that it is going to cost that much. And she contacted us to see if we would know of any other other taxi companies that could give her a more reasonable price. And also just asking, was €400 excessive for a return trip from Mill Street uh, to Cork City to CUH? Bearing in mind, we know that everything has gone up, but it does seem very, very excessive. Now, a number of people are saying, can't believe that somebody would be charged 400 euro that that certainly is excessive somebody's asking was the taxi was she going by jumbo jet but no it wasn't it was by taxi anyway uh, a taxi company and I'm assuming this person is a taxi company a WhatsApp app in straightaway saying a taxi should cost around 100 euro each way Uh, this texter is wondering was the listener quoted for the taxi to wait while the person went into the hospital appointment and if so that's what could be the extra 200 euro and this texter also said no there isn't a higher cost for a wheelchair taxi as opposed to a taxi that isn't wheelchair accessible okay I just needed to get clarification on that uh, thank you for that then some suggestions came in uh, the lady in Mill Street with who needs to get a wheelchair accessible or a person in a wheelchair to CUH the HSE ambulance service as well as operating an emergency service have an immediate care vehicle which transports patients to routine and non-urgent appointments. Now, this listener says that her GP slash public health nurse may be able to book it for her as it has to be pre-booked. I hope that this might be of help to your listener. Then Trisha Blackpool was on to say there is a company where you join and you pay a yearly fee. Last year, she said it was €20. She said, I don't know how much it is this year. But through the company, you book your taxi van in advance and it is cheaper. She cites an example of a friend living in Douglas and she can get from Douglas to Wilton for €15 return. Uh, They wait for the person and then bring them back to to Douglas. Uh, A lot cheaper. It's the Cork Centre for Independent Living is what Trish is talking about. Now, do they only operate in Cork City, John Paul? I have a funny feeling they might only operate in Cork City. Don't know if that's of any use to the Mill Street listener, but certainly worth uh, checking. Then Noel contacted us, who is a taxi driver in Cork. Thank you, Noel, for your your, uh, call. He's with the Cork Taxi Co-op. Now, he explained that they have a HSE contract. He said why the lady is being charged €400. He also agrees with the other texter that was on. She's possibly being charged a waiting time for the return journey and that's what would make it more expensive. Noel is suggesting that our listener uh, rings the Cork Taxi Co-op 021-427-2222. They have a fleet of wheelchair accessible cars. They will drop the person off that Mary is travelling with to the appointment 
and then when the appointment is finished, Mary can ring them and they'll come back and uh, collect collect them after us and then bring them home. And that way there isn't a waiting time uh, charged. The only thing Noel says, you need to ring in a day in advance because on some days they can be particularly busy and the wheelchair accessible taxi mightn't be available. OK, so that certainly is a solution and it's going to have the cost for uh, Mary. So thank you, as I say, um, a number of uh, people were, were on. Somebody else says, friendly call Cork. May be able to help that lady in Mill Street. Their number is 0214302310. So lots of people certainly trying to help out with suggestions. Thank you for all of those uh, suggestions. And Mary, let us know, please, how you uh, get on. Now, other calls coming in. Jerry in Mallow was on, and this is to do with, in particular, I suppose, at the end of my interview with... Uh, MEP Billy Kelleher, I said to him that he was nervous about, you know, a warning that had come out from in the UK, their gas and electricity office are saying that they will have a shortage of gas this winter and they're putting out a warning already to people in the United Kingdom that they may have to do blackouts. It's kind of something similar to what we've been talking about in this country. But in particular, they're talking about there will be a shortage of gas. Why we need to worry about that is we get our gas, do we get 80% of our gas from the UK? So obviously if they're having a shortage, they're not going to be able to or will want to be supplying us in good old Ireland. So Billy's just sort of saying, look, the government need to be aware of this and need to be doing some things, come up with a, a backup plan. Jerry is ma- makes a suggestion and I wonder would others agree. He cites Mallow, Formoy, Glamworth, Castletown Roach and other areas. He said in older times all of those towns and villages would have had a working mill that would have worked from the river and they would have been supplying electricity. Why can we not put a generator into these mills and they could provide some assistance for the grill or else get the mills back up and running, start powering the mills as well. Surely if a mill like the one that's in the old rustic bridge by the mill in Castletown Roach. Surely if that could be powered, it could be supplying power, even if just for the Castletown Roach uh, area. If they're looking for alternatives, could we not go back and look at what we did in the past, start thinking a little bit outside the box? I think that's what they need to do, Jerry, for sure. Don't know if that's a runner. We'd need, I suppose, an engineer to tell us if some of those old mills could be, could be put back into use. Would they be able to generate enough electricity, even for the local area, or generate excess electricity that could then go on to add the grid? Anything, I think, that can generate electricity has got to be looked at. Thank you for your call, Jerry, to 0818-103-103. And Councillor Deirdre O'Brien uh, was on to us. She obviously was listening to my piece with McBarry and when we were talking about the community welfare officers who are going to be extremely busy this winter because that's what the Taoiseach is saying. If people get into trouble, particularly if people are in trouble with their keeping their electricity on as a pay-as-you-go meter, extra money has been put into the community welfare officer and they're saying, go to your community welfare officer and they should be able to help you out. But we had a call in the other day from somebody in Mill Street to say, do you realise if somebody in um, Mitch- sorry, Mitchellstown needs to go to the community welfare officer, they need to go to the community welfare officer in Clamel. Now, I assume at one stage that Mitchellstown did have a community welfare office, but that office is one of the offices. Many of those offices have been closed over the years. So Adir just said she was advised last week after inquiring about the community welfare officer for uh, Mitchellstown uh, that the, the, the responsibility for the Mitchellstown area now works out of Main Street in Mallow and social welfare forms are can be sent to the office in Mallow. But I take it that the reason the listener in Mitchellstown was saying easier for them to go up on on the 
on the, the main road and go to Clonmel it would be easier certainly it would be easier at the moment than going to Mallow because the Mitchestown to Mallow road is uh, closed so I'm assuming that some people in Mitchestown prefer to go to Clonmel it's an easier journey for them but anyway dear just said for people in Mitchellstown, um, the it's Mallow it's the office in Mallow where the community welfare office is uh, available and then Joe in Kilmallock who is on a prepaid meter and in particular we were talking about people on prepaid meters and you know that they may end up self-disconnecting themselves if they run out of money to top up their uh, meter he said if you want to go into the community welfare officer when you go in he said just to let people know they give you at least three or four forms that you have to fill in for example says Joe you have to prove that you don't have any savings and that you're not just trying to scam the system and I can understand that they need to make sure that everything is put in place to make sure that genuine people get this money because it isn't a bottomless pit but Joe's issue with it is by the time you've all of those forms filled out you certainly will be well out of electricity so he reckons that the way it's done it needs to be simplified in uh, somehow and I don't I, and I know the reason that they make it not complicated but certainly what the reason why they ask all of the questions is to make sure that somebody's in scamming the system but how do you simplify simplify it to make sure that those very vulnerable people that will need the money on that particular day you know Joe's making the point if somebody goes in and the electricity is cut off they need the money that day they don't need to be form filling and trying to prove that they don't have any money stashed away anywhere anywhere I don't know what the solution to that is Joe but thank you uh, for your call this morning also uh, coming into oh just by the way when we were talking about wheelchair accessible taxis somebody was on about they were out recently with their mother who is a wheelchair user uh, in uh, and they couldn't find a wheelchair accessible toilet inside in two cafes where they were and uh, ended up having to come into the town of Mallow in order to access a wheelchair accessible toilet. Do other are other do other people find that that when they're out and about, if you if you are a wheelchair user, are you with a wheelchair user that there can be problems accessing wheelchair accessible toilets? I thought that like with wheelchair accessible taxis, I thought that there would have been a lot of those toilets around. But according to this listener, no. And then on farming, when we were talking about a directive that's coming in from the EU and Billy Kelleher joined us to talk about that. He's worried about uh, farm families. And uh, Mike had been on who uh, was very much uh, in favour of what they are doing. One listener says, Patricia, there has been a two tiered system in dairy farming. And this farmer reckons it's been in place since 2008. It discriminates against standalone, in particular young dairy farmers with a young family. And it's very much in favour of big partnership farms. And someone else reckoned, Mike, who thinks it's okay, even though Billy Kelleher reckoned at the 150 stock level that they need to raise that number to take the smaller farm family out of it. Mike seemed to think that that was okay. Uh, John says if Mike had some cop on he would know that these new rules don't last long affecting the smallest farmers. They start with a big limit even though Billy Keller reckons 150 isn't a high enough limit and every year they will reduce it. John is of the belief that Europe doesn't want uh, farmers 
they want to import their food and pretend that it's all to do with low carbon. That is John's view. 0818-103-103. And seeing as we mentioned CUH and Mary trying to get the person in a wheelchair to uh, CUH, that's prompted Jim to say, Patricia, recently heard a story of a woman who was rushing to Cork University Hospital with her child. So she parked her car in the Wilton shopping centre and walked across the road to the hospital. When she returned back to collect her car, it cost her €100 euro to release her car from the clamp. It's the old story. It would have cost her €7 euro to pay at the hospital car park, but she opted instead to try and get free parking in the Wilton uh, Centre. Instead, beware. If you're caught doing that, it will cost you. And as Jim says, €100. Euro. That was an expensive parking fee, was it not? For your trip to Cork University Hospital, be careful. I think there are signs up. I'm sure I've seen. It's been a long time since I've been in Wilton, but I'm sure I've seen signs up, and they've got cameras so they can clearly identify somebody that parks up and then just walks across the road to uh, CUH. And for, and I can actually understand it from the shopping centre's point of view. That shopping centre has the parking spaces have to be available for people who who want to do their shopping there. And if everybody, if it was free for everyone, including people that want to go to the hospital, you can understand what will happen. There would be no spaces left for people who want to then go in and use the shops in inside in Wilton. But then I can also see there are some people who are very annoyed about having to pay for any parking outside a hospital and we've dealt with parking in hospitals before. You can pay a lot more than what Jim is, is citing as seven euro depending on how long you're inside in the hospital. It can cost you a lot more than that. 0818 Now there's a call that we hit in from Anya in Formoy. And this got us thinking. Uh, Only get us in to see has this happened to anybody else? She purchased a, a packet of you know dog biscuits for her dog, and when she opened them up, all of the biscuits had been smashed up. Now, obviously, in transit, the that can happen, or the box could have fallen down, or whatever. Something landed on top of the the box of little dog biscuits, and they were all in, literally in bits. No use at all to Anne when she'd want to take a biscuit out and hand it to her doggy. So what did she do? She wrote to the company and she gave them an example. I'm, I'm assuming she sent off photographs to say, look, bought these packet of your well-known great dog biscuits and look what happened. And she said she heard absolutely nothing back. She wrote to them in, in July and she wrote again to the UK company. They obviously have an, it was an Irish address and a UK company and she hasn't heard anything. And she's wondering when other people write to complain about a product like that, she was expecting that she'd either get the refund on the box of dog biscuits or maybe they'd post out a box of dog biscuits to her. But she said she has heard absolutely nothing. So then that got us thinking, have others done that in the past where you purchased something in good faith and when you got it home there was something wrong with it or perhaps there wasn't enough items inside it that was meant to be in it you know a box that was meant to contain 12 of something and when you opened it up there was only 10 and did you write to the company and then as a goodwill gesture I mean certainly in the past companies were really good about goodwill gestures and they'd send you back whatever it was the replacement and they'd put in a little bit more to to keep your custom because it got me thinking when my own when my own son David was a younger he had a friend who was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and obviously a child di- di- being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes they've got to be very particular about the chocolate that they, they can eat and it was at a time when there wasn't a lot of diabetic free, cho- free chocolate suitable for diabetics there's a lot more of available now in the supermarket so his mum had to go to great lengths 
to get him an Easter egg for uh, coming up to Easter and a special one that would suit this young lad with the diabetes. But anyway, didn't David's friend find the Easter egg in advance of Easter and very carefully opened it up. And as with the standard Easter egg, it was an Easter egg and there was also a little packet of sweets. You know, the the same way you get with all Easter eggs. So the young lad took the sweets out and ate them and then very carefully put the box back in, in place and said nothing. Then Easter Sunday arrived opened it up and the mother said to him, I said, oh, sweets inside and that. And he looked up at her, no, there's only an egg. And she said, that's disgraceful, it said in the box that it came with a little packet of sweets. So she wrote to the company complaining that the Easter egg had arrived. Lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, a big box arrived uh, with a huge, fulsome apologies and they had given a couple of more Easter eggs and there was more boxes of diabetic chocolate. She kept them going in diabetic chocolate for, for the year. And it was many years later that that young boy had to fess up to his mother and say, actually, I took the chocolates out. But the reason I tell that story is that the goodwill gesture on behalf of the company, and I thought a lot of that uh, still went on. But in the case of this dog biscuits uh, story, um, and Anya in Fomoy got absolutely nothing back, not even a letter to say sorry. So did you ever send, uh, send away something that for whatever reason wasn't fit for purpose, or didn't contain everything that it was meant to contain, or as in Anya's case, it was damaged and if so what did you get back in return 0818103103 you can text her WhatsApp 0862103103 C103 Jobs A bakery manager is wanted it's for Centra in League. please call 0873112807 Roofers are wanted for slating and tiling that's in the West Cork and City areas you need to email bowmechconstructionlimited at gmail.com An administrator coordinator is required it's a full time position in Canturk job does come with an immediate start email Catherine at autoroller .ie. And a sign fitter is wanted for the Cork area. CVs please to jobs at acesigns.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. There has been much praise for the National Child Care Scheme subsidies increase that was announced in the budget. The reality is that the vast majority of parents using childminding services will not be able to avail of this scheme. To explain more, I'm joined by Bernadette Orbinski-Burke, who is Chief Executive of Childminding Ireland. Good morning to you, Bernadette. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, what Thank we're you. talking about here are the childminders who are not registered with uh, Tulsa. Tulsa, it might be your neighbour down the road. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do 
not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Road, it might be your sister-in-law, it might be the local woman in the village who's raised half the village because she's been the childminder for years. Do, do we know how many of these childminders are currently working in Ireland? Well, um, it's a good question, Patricia, because there isn't actually a system, um, realistically, you need to be minding more than four preschool children or more than seven children of any age to be able to register with Tusla. So if you're not in that category, which most childminders are, um, you're not allowed to register, so we can't collect data. So the department say the figure for childminders in the country is around 15,000. Um, Childminding Ireland believes that's conservative and much more like 35,000. But um, at this point, it, it, it's very difficult. To Nobody knows. And, uh, but, but are there not plans in place to develop more regulation for childminders and get more of them registered? Absolutely. I mean, there's a national action plan for childminding was launched in 2021 and it's to run to 2028 um, and that sets out a series of um, ambitions in terms of uh, registering and regulating childminding um, and I suppose here at Childminding Ireland what we would say is we're absolutely delighted for parents to be able to access the National Childcare Scheme and, and get the subsidies it's critically important um, and we do feel for the families using childminders. But we would, what we're calling on the department to do is to look for an interim solution so that, for example, the members of Childminding Ireland, they have sort of chosen to self-regulate. So they have guard vetting for childminding. They have current paediatric first aid. They have insurance for childminding. And they've done Tusla's um, Children First e-learning programme. So something along those lines, we're not saying that everybody has to be a member of Childminding Ireland, far from it, but some sort of third-party verified 
quality indicator because public money can't just be given out. And, and we really feel that the action plan needs to take its time because this is the first time in the, the history of the state that childminding will have been really regulated. And um, and your fear would be that if they, they rush it in order that parents can yeah. get these subsidies, yeah. that they just might get it wrong. Well, this is the huge fear. I mean, it's a very understandable um, and laudable desire to want parents using childminding services to get the subsidy. But the risk is huge because... And to be honest with you, it's vocational. Childminders are not among the top earners. You know, mm. it really is a vocation. And they're the backbone of the childcare sector, we believe. Um, you know, they they will be flexible around hours. Um, they'll support families that, you know, as you say, they'll raise the village. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and everybody knows somebody in their area yeah that uh, either is currently a childminder or was a childminder yeah. in the past. Now, I did see the Children's Minister, Roderick O'Gorman. I mean, yeah. he's obviously very much aware of this problem. Yeah. And, and he says he hopes to create a simplified regulation system for childminders. I, I, yeah. Do you take comfort from that? Are you happy with that? And, and, and are they speaking with groups like yours? They are. And Good. Um, the Minister has um, stated publicly, as you say, that he wants the new system not to be onerous to be appropriate for childminding. That would involve a lot of engagement with childminders to get their input and their view and, you know, that the, the information and knowledge that only childminders and those proximate to childminding can share. And we're a bit concerned that, that there's a lot of um, references to trying to accelerate things and that the foundation course will be ready sooner than expected, maybe. And, you know, the engagement hasn't been there yet. It, it, that, it's the wrong way round. Mm. Yeah. And that's very yeah. worrying. Yeah. And is he giving any kind of a timeline on it? Well, the original plan was eight years, but at the moment it, it seems that the references are to, you know, as soon as possible and all this sort of language which um, we know from speaking to our members and our contacts that a lot of childminders are just watching and if it doesn't suit them, they'll just stop. And that's what we don't home. need. That's exactly. what, Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what, what yeah. we don't need. And, yeah. and yet the parents who are using the local uh, childminder, they're under pressure of course. with cost of living yeah. that they need yeah. to get some kind of a dig out the way people who are using yeah. the traditional creche will be getting yeah. with these subsidies. It took years to get the creche, the creches um, fully regulated. Yeah. It was about 20 years. Yeah, yeah. You know, so realistically, if if they did have an interim solution that was time limited, um, I think it would be a really, even if it's never needed, even if everything goes incredibly smoothly, to have that backup so that parents could have access to the NCS. I think, I mean, there are big brains working on these issues. I'm sure they could come up with a solution if they really want to. And wait, I mean, everyone's complaining about the rising cost of living. Everybody knows, you know, everything is is going up. It's obviously going up for childbinders as well. Have have they had to increase their prices? There are rumblings that they've kept it at the same price for an awfully long time. Um, Years and years and years it's been... Typically, obviously, there are variations if you live in central Dublin or if you live in rural 
Donegal or whatever it might be different. But typically it's five euros per hour per child. So um, it's very modest for the responsibility and the care and um, the love and affection that the children get. And now the additional costs with, you know, the yeah. sure those children have to come home to a warm house. Absolutely. Many childminders supply the food. Yeah. Co- you know, yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah. Practical, very, very practical problem. Yeah. Was yeah. there was there anything in the budget that will help out your members and indeed the parents who, who use the who use the childminders? Um, well, I think the, now this, I, I'm not absolutely sure, but the my understanding is that the additional funding in the budget is going towards recruiting more local child-minding development officers. And they work with the CCCs to support the CCCs, to support the child-minders. So now that is part of a long-term plan to have local supports for child-minders. But um, it's not not going to be a quick fix. Yeah. Okay. All right. Listen, um, and and for for people who are in the childminding business, you'd encourage them to join a group like yours. Well, absolutely. And and they don't have to become members. I mean, we'd love them to become members because obviously, you know, it's a community of childminding and there's members Facebook forum where they can all chat to each other and so on. But we're financed to support childminding. So we've got about 2,000 um, child-minding contacts and only about 700 are members and we, and we provide information and support to all. Um, obviously there are additional benefits to being a member. You get subsidised insurance and things like that. Um, but yeah, we have about 2,000 parents using child-minding services. So they're, they're also a hugely important cohort. Okay. All right. Listen, we'll speak again, Bernadette. In the meantime, thank well, you for that. Thanks for supporting the subject, uh, well, Patricia. We uh, really appreciate that's it. That's our pleasure. Thank you for thank that. You. And thank uh, thanks for joining us. That is uh, Bernadette Orbinski Burke. Uh, who joins us from Childminding Ireland 0818 103 103 just quickly to an email that I we got in overnight when we were talking about giving up smoking yesterday on the programme and we had one of the HSE quit advisors uh, join us um, had this email in from someone who doesn't want their name mentioned uh, which is fine uh, to say over 30 years ago unemployed and a persistent smoker at that stage for over 25 years a retired Garda invited me to a men's prayer meeting in the city I was living in, in West Cork at the time I didn't think it was my thing but as there was a seat free in the car I wasn't doing anything else I decided I'd travel now no one mentioned giving up smoking during the hour of that pa- prayer uh, meeting um, and Bible readings and no one was aware that I was a smoker but for some reason I returned home that night with a few cigarettes in my pa- pack and never bothered with them uh, then are uh, since uh, even when a merchant seaman friend dropped me in 200 euro into the house after his voyage the following day didn't smoke at one of them P.S. I became employed soon afterwards with a job that actually required me to be a non-smoker 
So did some kind of, are you claiming some kind of, it was some kind of divine intervention happened at that particular prayer meeting, but for whatever reason, going around to this prayer meeting, came away from it, wasn't even thinking about giving up cigarettes and literally stopped. Go you, and there's been a non-smoker since. 0818 103 103, John Paul takes your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. We're off to Fomoyguard, the station where I'm joined to this week's Crime File by Sergeant John Kelly. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. Okay, we're going Thank to very much. we're going to start by concentrating on farms. You have a couple of stories for us. Yeah, Patricia, we go to last week, and I suppose last Monday week we had an incident where there was a chainsaw stolen there in Mitchellstown. We move on two days to the Wednesday again in the Fermoy area, where from a farmyard you had a power washer, an angle grinder, and a welder. So I mean that's a substantial amount of equipment to be stolen. Um, and, you know, we just asked farmers just maybe if they could prioritise one shed within their farmyard and uh, have enhanced security features on it, preferably close to the farmhouse. You know, by enhanced security features, I mean um, maybe glass blocks. If there was old windows, glass blocks, you know, are good, uh, you know, for allowing in light. Maybe a good sliding uh, heavy metal sliding door that can't be lifted off the rails held in place with a good closed shackle lock that can't be done with, um, um, you know, that can't be cut off very easily, you know? Yeah, you just need to make it as difficult as possible. Make it as difficult as possible. Okay. Um, and particularly now with the consolidation farming that has occurred, you know, farms sometimes they could have 40, uh, maybe 40 acres and a shed maybe two or three miles up from the main farmhouse and uh, their main holding. You know, and if they are keeping land on that for con- or uh, if they are keeping machinery on that for convenience, just make sure enhanced security features have been putting put on, on sheds up there. And I mean, quads are something that quads are stolen very easily and um, very unusual to retrieve. You know, you get you sometimes uh, as as you saw there lately, we were successful there going back a couple of months ago um, in North Cork and also in Cork City with uh, getting back a number of. Um, a number of trailers, a number of horse boxes, you know, for a couple of places where raids were carried out um, by my colleagues. But not the same with quads. Quads, when they're taken, you know, they're rarely turned up, so you make sure to have them locked down properly. Yeah, and of course and, they can know, be shipped then to different parts of the country or out of the country and uh, and sold on. So actually, it's people need to take photographs. And, and you've got, there's a guy, the property app, isn't there, that people can use? There is a, a there's a property app you can download it from, from the Android store or, or um, uh, you know from from the other uh, wherever you get your apps yeah well. yeah be, uh, yeah whatever type of phone you have you know um the property app was was developed by just to assist and encourage people to record their property details and not necessary farms you know uh, uh, or your na- normal householder as well um have it on the smartphone that can be retrieved and passed on to. Uh, to ourselves, you know, should the item be stolen. Just take a couple of minutes, photograph everything. Um, um, Photograph also uh, uh, as well where you have engraved it, you know. Uh, You might have stenciled uh, it or you might have have overt uh, engraving done maybe with an angle grinder or something as well, you know. And sometimes you pass along places and there might be uh, be a trailer or something left inside in the field. And this was the case there going, going back Last week as well, um, on last Friday actually, at Anna Carton Bridge down near Watergrass Hill, the owner came along, 
you had a trailer inside in the field and just saw a white van inside in the field hitching it up, they followed it and retrieved it. Oh, you know, so cause that was I, brave, wasn't it? Absolutely, fair play to them. You know, they were just at the right place at the right, right time. time. Yeah, but that, but that again was was an opportunistic theft. Somebody driving yeah. along spotted the trailer. Oh, I love that. Went into the field and just luckily the car, the owner happened to come along at the right time. Exactly. A lot of farm theft tends to be opportunistic, you know. Okay. So, I, I, I mean, people have to ask yourself, where are your tools, quads, trailers and other equipment? You know, and have you ever found anyone in your yard without a valid reason for being there? No, 90% of farmers are going to say yes to that, you know, or people turning up unexpectedly to try to buy or sell you something. And remember, an awful lot of that equipment, you know, that I just said, power washers, angle grinders, welders, they're going to be sold on, mm. you know, and, and it could be the white van entering the yard and, uh, oh, we have some stuff here, you know, to sell. So please don't buy from people selling secondhand door to door. Because you're only encouraging them to go back out and, and steal from somebody else and one day it, the, the theft could, could, could be from yours. And just on the guard the property app, uh, I'm thinking of us females if uh, with jewellery. Could, could you photograph jewellery and put it on? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and the problem an awful lot of times with jewellery is that people, people have a good description, you know, nine, nine carat uh, sapphire ring or whatever, but there's no photograph of it. You know, yeah, it's yeah. very unique about that. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, you know, people are there trying to blow up pictures of them wearing it at a wedding or something. And, you know, with pixelation, you know. It's it a grainy picture. It's a grainy picture. Okay. Pictures, yeah. So the guard, well, the, the guard the property app, wherever you get your apps at from. Yeah, and just as you mentioned there with jewellery, main thing about jewellery, try to ensure it doesn't get stolen in the first place. A good small wall-mounted safe, properly properly mounted in an area where you'll use it, onto a solid wall, fitted at chest height, you know, should be coming in about 250 or 300 euros, but uh, an investment well worth making. Okay. And, um, um, you know, to ensure jewellery doesn't get taken in the first place. Okay. And uh, finally, you've got some details of a painting scam. Tell me about this. Uh, there, look, there's a lot of those, um, shall we say, uh, service operators back out on now uh, offering, you know, with, with painting, painting of sheds, painting of houses, guttering scams and all that, you, you know, just I'd say to people, particularly out of the country, you, you know, be very, very careful of who they let onto their property, you know, to paint sheds, to paint houses, to do guttering, you know, make sure if you're getting work done, get it from um, providers that are well known, that come recommended, you know, it's very easy for some people that came in, oh, I've done, I done Johnny Murphy's sheds up, up, up the road, ring, ring him, find out. You know, is he happy with the work that was done? Don't just take word of mouth. Uh, you know, ensure that you're getting, uh, ensure that you're getting, um, you know, a, a proper job done because it's very, very hard for the guard to into the situation afterwards, uh, you know, and try and maybe retrieve money or else try and get into, uh, involved in what could be a, a civil aspect, you, you know, where you formed a contract with somebody and, you know, they might say they've done the right job and, you know, you're saying that... It's your word against theirs, yeah. And in many cases, if they do the job, it'll be shoddy workmanship. But we've seen other cases where they don't even do the job, they take the money and they're gone. No, you said it, yeah. So, I mean, uh, as the Latin teacher would have said a long time ago, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware, yeah, you know? Yeah, 100%. Uh, 
very, very much applies to, to any work like that. Just recommendations is the, is the best way to go. OK. Listen, John, thank you for that. As always, pleasure to have you on the programme. Have a good week. Thank you. And we'll pleasure. talk again. Bye-bye. That is Sergeant John Kelly, who is based out of Fomoygar, the station. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Okay, let me catch up with some of your calls and comments uh, coming into the programme. Firstly, hi Patricia, I was listening to your piece with Sergeant John Kelly from Formoy who was offering great advice on how we can all protect uh, ourselves because unfortunately there are some unscrupulous people out there. We were selling purebred Wathryler pups or we are selling them at the moment. We had two what I could only describe as nosy people in with us last week. They didn't buy any of the pups, but we got the feeling that they were just in to have a look around, almost like they were spotting, checking out where we where we were living. We're lucky that we have brilliant guard dogs, and I'm assuming they're Rothweiler guard dogs, are they? Anyway, as Tester says, but really what it proved to, to, to this family was you just can't trust people anymore. It would actually make you wary now of people, which is a real shame, isn't it? But everyone has to sort of, everyone bring their A game now if you're answering the door or answering the phone or even opening an email or a text at message. But certainly anybody coming onto your property or coming into your house, you'd be really, really careful about it. Hi Patricia, would you give a shout out for Bantry Hospital Outpatients, please? Dr. Hannan's clinic. I was there yesterday. I was, I'm overwhelmed by the kind and to the help that was offered to me. It's not a very sweet thing to text in about. Special word of thanks to Nurse Amanda. Now, I don't know what Amanda's surname is, but I'd just like to say a special word of thanks to her for going over and above in being so helpful. We really are blessed to have the wonderful hospital, Bantry General Hospital, with us in West Cork. Thanking you. No name on that, but good to uh, recognise when people go above and beyond the call of duty. So well done to everybody in Dr. Hannan's clinic. And if somebody knows in particular who Nurse Amanda is, uh, will you tell them that we were talking about her today in a very, very positive uh, light. I'm going to community welfare officer a listener says if you're going to community welfare officer it's a waste of time you won't get any help particularly if you've got anybody else living with you in the house for example if you have a son or a daughter living with you you'll be told they're out working get them to contribute even though your own children might have their own bills so um, they, you'd have to be completely living on your own said this listener to get uh, any uh, help Hi Patricia I'm wondering my husband is on a pension and we don't qualify for the fuel allowance my question is since the budget there's been changes to how you can apply for the fuel fuel allowance and we think now we might be entitled. I'm wondering do we need to reapply again or will we get it automatically um after what was announced in the new budget. No, you're going to have to apply again, but you can't apply until the 1st of January because that's when the new criteria come in for the income limit. You can have the forms in now and fill it all in and have it ready to go. And then just after Christmas, just remember to pop it in the post and send it back. But yes, you have to reapply. And it's the advice that we're giving to a lot of people who in the past applied for fuel allowance and they were just over the threshold, the income limit. Make sure you're applying again in the new year, particularly anybody over the age of 70 because the income limit is making a big, big uh, jump. And thank you to a number of people who were act- who was reacting to the listener who bought the dog biscuits and they were all smashed up and she's written to the company and has heard nothing back and she's really disappointed that she's she at least thought she'd get a voucher for the cost of another box of dog biscuits or at least a, a packet of dog biscuits in the post, but she's heard nothing from them not even an apology and that got us thinking has anybody complained in the past and what did you uh, receive Um, Tim says Hi uh, Patricia about uh, one year 
Um, we got a tin of sweets. You know, the tins of sweets that you get for Christmas. It was one of the boxes of heroes. But when we opened it, it was just seemed to be full of the cream egg sweets. And there wasn't the variety that should have been in the box. And there was literally too many cream egg sweets, particularly in what should be a Christmas box. So we wrote a letter and they sent us back a voucher for the price of the tin of heroes. So we were able to go out and purchase another one instead. Now, a number of people are contacting us, can I say, about particular stores and just saying that they're getting nowhere with them, particularly some of the German retailers and really not getting anywhere, including uh, someone who got, um, what was it? Oh, it was a broken, two two eggs were broken. It was one of the, you know, you can get a, a box of eggs with 18 in it and when they got home, two of them were broken, uh, complained back to the company and was told you should complain in your local store. They said that they would put the supplier on a product watch but no gesture f- gesture from them and definitely none of the eggs were broken by us in a transit so you need to be very careful. Yeah, You need to check, don't you? You really need to, uh, to examine nearly every product you're buying at the moment. Hi Patricia, I complained about baking powder years ago. I got 12 packets back in the post. Probably, You're probably still using some of that uh, baking powder. That was a nice gesture. See, I don't know if they still do gestures like that again. Neil in Castle Marger said he purchased a packet of Kit Kats. It was one of those multi-pack packs of Kit Kats. When he opened them, a few of the packets uh, with the seal on, but there was nothing in them. They were empty. There was no Kit Kat fingers inside in the tinfoil. Wasn't going to do anything. But then my wife said, write to them. Sent them back in the enclosed sealed wrapper so they'd know that you couldn't have done it yourself if they, they arrived uh, empty. So Kit Kat, that's owned by Nestle, wrote to Nestle, heard nothing for about two months, then knock on the door, the postman was there and we got a box of Kit Kats in an industrial type pack and a letter saying, really sorry, hope it didn't spoil your experience and keep supporting us. So it's worth a shot to complain. And Kathleen in Skibbereen said she got a multi-pack of Tato's one time and one of the bags was nearly empty and another bag was totally empty so she sent both of those back and guess what she received a box of 20 and she got those within a week of writing so it is worth contacting at the company uh, 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls text or WhatsApp 0862103103 we kicked off the programme this morning by mentioning Mary in Mill Street who needs to bring a family member who's a wheelchair user needs to bring them for an appointment to COH and she was wondering about taxis and she got the coat for the taxis was quite expensive even though we think the coat was for the taxi to wait and that's why it would have been more expensive uh, Owen O'Callaghan is with the Mallow Access Group and Owen has contacted us uh, Good afternoon to you Owen Good afternoon Patricia now, How are you? I'm, ver- I'm very well thank you Now you are a wheelchair user and you have a suggestion that might help out Mary yeah, I am a wheelchair user and I'm living here in Mallow. One of the suggestions I would make to Mary and her um, family member is to use the train. There's a train station in Mill Street and I've always found the staff of, of Irish Rail, of Irmodern, to be extraordinarily helpful, to be really friendly and to be really helpful. They'll get out the ramp, they'll let her get on the train. She will have free pass. Yeah. And I imagine she has free pass for Mary as well as a companion to go with her. Okay. Uh, you get up to the train station, the number 214 bus, God be with the days now, I know that as the old number 14 to okay. go for. <laughs> but but the, the 214 bus comes into the train station. It, it, it 
uh, one of its stops is in the train station, and it will take you directly out through um, the, the Toker area. It will take you into the CUH, uh, into the complex itself, and outside the front door of the accident and emergency and the outpatients department. And all and of those buses are wheelchair friendly? All of those buses okay. are wheelchair friendly. All of the city buses now are wheelchair friendly. And again, the staff, in my considerable experience of them at this stage, the staff could not be more helpful. They could not be more friendly or polite. And they're always willing to go above and beyond to, to help you out. Now, there are other taxi companies that, that you could have a word with. I know that Swift Cabs here in, in Mallow has been wonderful to me when I used to have to use uh, taxis. But I'm sure there's somebody in, in Mill Street. That should be able to help. Yeah, because the 400 euro was excessive. I but, but no, that, that's yeah. way, way, way. Yeah, but as, one, as a couple of taxi drivers contacted us and said it shouldn't, it should be 100 euro each way. So still 200 euro is a lot of money. It's a lot but, of money. But the yeah, other 200 yeah. euro, obviously Mary had, was, was asking them to wait. And, you know, you can't expect a taxi driver to sit outside while you go into an appointment. So they do have to charge for that. But I think your suggestion is, is a great one. And it's a free one, which is, which is even better. But I'm yeah, just always. wondering, when you go on the train, uh, and as you say, the staff are fantastic at the train station to get the ramp out, do you have to notify them in advance that you're coming? Uh, you're better off to notify them. OK. No, it, it's not that you must. It's not that they won't be. But what can happen is that the train coming from Tralee or Dublin or wherever it's coming from may already have the wheelchair spaces used up. Not okay. always. It's never happened to me. I have never had a scenario where the uh, number of allocated wheelchair spaces has been, all of them have been taken up. But yeah, it, it is a possibility. Yeah, so, con- so, so contact off. them in advance. And then obviously if you get on in Mallow and Mary and, and her family member get on in Mill Street, I take it then, do they contact Kent to say there's people yeah. coming? They do, all right. So, yeah. so Kent, you're aware. They, they, they would be aware and the, the uh, staff in Kent Station will be ready with the ramp to put the ramp up to your exit door. So they'll know you're coming. And and they'll be ready to to greet you. They've come. Kent they've Station. come a long way, haven't they? They really uh, are. Yeah. Uh, they're just they're brilliant. No, they really are. And I, I I do want to say it's one. The, the facilities are excellent, but I have to say that the staff, both in Kent Station and in Mallow, are above and beyond the call of duty. Okay. They are just so friendly. They are so helpful they'll do anything that needs to be done there yeah there. and really, I sh- really excellent. it's funny when, when you're you're reminding me of uh someone who uh god be good for she's no longer with us and i interviewed her many times the wonderful agnes gilbert who the gilbert yeah. center i don't know if you use yeah. the gilbert center in mallow I do. um I do, agnes yeah. and is called after agnes gilbert and agnes yeah. was one of the first to start i'm talking 30 years ago now on this program i would have been talking to her uh, where she was pushing and pushing so for people who were in wheelchairs that they could lead an independent life as possible and I remember her coming on the programme because she was going from Mallow to Dublin to a conference on independent living for people in a wheelchair and at the time their services weren't there the way they are here today and she arrived up 
wasn't wheelchair accessible uh, space for her on the train. So they said, she said, I have to get to Dublin. And they said, look, we can put you in with the mail into there. Yeah. And, that, would, yeah, would that, and she said, look, I, she yeah. said, I'll take anything that's perfect. So they tied her, you know, somehow tied in the wheelchair. And off she went. But whatever happened, lost in, in translation or lost in communication, nobody was told in Dublin. And she ended up being left inside in one of the wagons at the back of the train, oh, shouting man. for help. Now, eventually somebody came to her aid. But I, God, I remember thinking, uh, when are we going to get, get away from this kind of treatment of somebody in a wheelchair? And a lot has happened because of women like Agnes Gilbert. Yeah. So, so it's great yeah. to hear you getting on so well. Tell me about your access group. I'm, I'm very aware of the clinical access group because that's been going a good number of years it, are, are it, you similar to them it's it, we're similar to them we're, we're trying to we've only just started we're trying right. to to make contact not just in melatonin which again just to give a big round of applause and bull the boss to every one of the, the lads work with the county council they're really excellent here so Always you're going to have one or two issues. You're always going to have one or two spaces and one or, and fellas parking and footpaths and all of that sort of stuff. But what the Mellow Access Group is hoping to do is have somebody in or using each of the villages around Mallow so that we get a, a, a big overall picture of what it's like in Donneray or in Cantork or in uh, Kildare or in Lantan or wherever it would be so that, that we can provide new people with physical disabilities with information about what is available and what is dangerous and, and, and also to try to raise people's awareness um, around the, the general population. Because if you're packing your, your car on a footpath, that that prevents me in my chair using the footpad. Yeah, but yeah. It prevents a mother with with a, 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 a bogey. small child. Yeah, a yeah, it does. It Absolutely. does. All right. Listen, I'm I'm over on time. Uh, we'll speak again, and um, thank you for your call uh, to the program today, and Absolute continue. Pleasure, and we'll Patricia. definitely Absolute definitely pleasure. chat to you again about your access group. But good luck with it, Owen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Patricia, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Bye bye, Owen O'Callaghan there from the newly formed Mallow Access Group. As I say, I wasn't aware of it uh, before, and now I know why it's only newly set up. And somebody's just sent me in a photograph of bread that they bought. They said it happened twice. It was in one of the German uh, retailers, uh, and and it's when you <laughs> they took. The the bread out. It's like it looked like I some I don't know if it's a slice pan or whether you had to cut it yourself. But there's a big hole in the middle. There's actually no bread at all in the middle. When I brought it back, uh, it was I got an offer of replacement immediately. So some of those stores are uh, really good. Okay, thank you for that. And inquiry, please. The Mitchellstown Mallow Road is that opened at night? We've done a quick search, but from what I can gather, it's a 24/7 uh, road closure. But if anybody's living in that area on the Mallow to Mitchellstown Road, which has officially closed now from the 28th of September. And until the 15th of March next year to facilitate the road widening. Are we right in saying that that road closure is 24 7? 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Larnian District Historical Society, they're presenting an illustrated lecture entitled Stories from the Big Houses of Montanati. It's on tonight, Blarney Secondary School at 8 o'clock. The speaker is Brendan Gagan and all are welcome. 
Kildallery Community Development, their weekly lotto draw is in Kildallery Community Office, 4 o'clock this afternoon, jackpot €4,500. And Bandon's GAA weekly bingo is on tonight. Please note they're starting at the earlier time of 8.30 and it will continue at the earlier start for the winter months. Get your bingo markers out and head to Bandon GAA at Pavilion tonight. Eyes down, 8.30. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, last night saw the opening night of a fortnight run of An Evening with Reggie at the Everyman. This is a play about Cork's most beautifully spoken man, Reggie, from the Blackrock Road. To discuss more about the play and his character, I'm delighted to say that Pat Fitzgerald uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Pat. Hi, Patricia. How are things? I'm, I'm, I'm very good. I have to fess up at the very start and say absolutely love the character of uh, uh, Reggie. And, and hopefully in a few minutes, Reggie might appear and we'll get to have a, a few words with, with him. But I want you to take me back and outline where did Reggie from the Blackrock Road? How did it all come about? I think an inkling of it actually was an uncle of mine, um, Joe McDonald is his name, and he, well, he's dead now, but he played rugby for Highfield and he was kind of a man around town in Cork and he had a big booming Cork voice and, you know, and he, he was one of those kind of Cork people who good things tended to happen to him and blah, blah, you know, and he, he had a great opinion of himself and of Cork in a very nice way now. Um, and then I, like, I was kind of, I was very close to him and I thought he was great fun and all that. But then I, I kind of, as a journalist, I was writing, the Ask Audrey column in the um, the Examiner, in the Irish Examiner. So I write that, and what we we were doing that as a I suppose you'd call it a podcast, but we were basically recording the voices for. Can I mention Red FM, Patricia? You can go on. Yeah, uh, they, they, Max Drive. So in other words, they were doing that. We were playing bits of. So that's the kind. I don't know if you've read Ask Audrey in the Examiner, but it's a kind of a spoof agony ant yeah. column where people write into this Audrey, and we were recording bits of that. And Reggie was a kind of a minor character in that, and. We're recording bits, and I remember right, we did a live event in the keynote once, and I went up as Reggie myself, and did, and people just seemed to react to him, even though he didn't say anything particularly funny. But then, the what happened then was when the pandemic came, we couldn't record that anymore because we couldn't go into the studio, and I was kind of thinking, what will I do? And then one day, I was um, I was on the South Mall, actually, Patricia, and I was dressed up for once, uh, quite potty, because I was going into RT for something, and I decided to just put the camera in my face and do something as Reggie for the crack and pretend that I own the South Mall or something. And again, I just I tweeted it, I think. And it just got a reaction. Again, I wasn't expecting it. So then I started doing the Reggie videos. And as you know, on Twitter, there you can do up to two minutes and 20 on Twitter. So that kind of gave it a limit. And the big, and it was getting a bit of traction. And, you know, it did get, you know, a few thousand views and people talking about it. And then I think the big one was, I, do you remember during the pandemic when one of the first lockdowns ended and you could travel from county to county? I do. Um, so Reggie announced anyway that that didn't mean that people could just come spilling over the border from Tipperary and Limerick to come and visit Cork because they'd probably be dying to visit Cork. And sure, as you know yourself, Patricia, all people want to talk about is where they come from. That's really. it. Like that's one of the big things. And that got huge traction. And, that, and, that and, and, and then it really took off from there. It went from there then. And then I kind of realised, you know, I you need to keep it up really because of course, the, the, in a way, it was a product of the pandemic because people had nothing to do. They couldn't meet each other, but what they could do was share things, videos. You know, this was how people, people were having Zoom calls or they were on WhatsApp groups. That's how they were communicating. Um, and we were all doing it. And I think that's, you know, it got shared that way. And that was the key way that it got shared, actually, not 
really on the social media itself. It was just people in groups. A lot of people have you in seen GA, this? Yeah, have have you seen yeah, this? Exactly. But then, how how do you make the leap from you know videos on social media to an onstage show in in the Everyman? Because you were there last year as well. Yeah, well, I got good people help me basically. I I. It was um, Sophie in the Everyman, its creative director, approached me and kind of said, would I do something? I was going, well, I don't know, I'd, yeah, I'd like to, but, you know. But then I, I Pat Kiernan, who is a theatre company um, director with Cork Adorka, you know, Cork, very good Cork theatre company, but I knew Pat from school a long way back. And I just contacted, he contacted me anyway about something, and I contacted him back and said, would you be interested in directing? Because I don't know anything. I've never, you know, they don't know to put together, you know, 70 minutes of theatre. And he got involved, and that was the key. Because he was able to say, well, look, you can't just sit there, you know, horrible things about people from Cantork, um, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with people from Cantork, Patricia. That's okay. just the character. Okay. Right? Yeah. But, um, you know, you can't you can't just do you have to you have to mix it up. You have to have variety. You have to have shocks. You have to have audio visual stuff. You have to have songs. And I don't know, it's just kind of when you had I had to do it then, you know, <laughs> we'd sold the tickets. Um, they became a good Christmas present, I think, for people. We released them in October. Uh, November kind of last year and then they became a Christmas present that people were giving kind of fans. And it worked. I mean, so, it, it, it really worked. And are you It on, really did, yeah. Are you on stage in a pair of Speedos? Well, you do anything for art, really, uh, or money. <laughs> it's just the ad we're running yeah. on. So it's Reggie on stage in a, in a pair of, So you are on stage in a pair of Speedos. I am. I, 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 I don't appear out, but that's, there are some scenes when I am, uh, yeah. And you have, the, bo- you have the body the You have the body first, do you? I'm not sure. I let that up to the audience now. I don't. I don't think so. But that's half the joke, anyway. As long as, do you know what? There's a great release in wearing speedos on stage because you've nothing to lose once you're pretty much naked in front of people. Um, you know. Well, that's what they say. Don't that. they say that if you're nervous about doing something when you stand up? Imagine that everyone in front of you is naked. So it, mo- it must yeah, work in, in reverse this case, as well. You'll just be naked yourself. Yeah, that's it. Actually... That's it. And Camille, yeah. you're, you're you're and and I howled with laughter. I have to say your your piece um, the other the other week about Liz Truss, and that has really that's very much that has really taken off. That was a big one, yeah. Because Alistair Campbell, um, Tony Blair's former former press secretary, and he's a big following on Twitter. So he retweeted it, and I, I think it's—I just looked. I think it's about seven hundred and fifty thousand views. Yeah, it'll go over. The, it'll go over the million yeah. for sure. It probably will eventually. Yeah, it will. You know, I—I—I I, I don't know if Liz Truss is going to be around that long. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was one of those ones. All right, that you know, I—I—I'm I, taking more time with them because I find that at one stage I was putting out two a week, and I felt under pressure to do it, and I think the quality suffers when you're forcing it. So I kind of now do once a, one a, a fortnight. I'll probably do more now once the play is done um, again. But, you know, like I think it's best to kind of make sure it's good when it goes out and then people can kind of people connect with it that way then and, they, and they'll share it, you know, if, yeah. if the quality is good. But actually, I, I enjoy it. I love doing it. Like, it's a great, it's great fun. OK, um, Margaret has been on to say Reggie wished Margaret a happy birthday a few years ago uh, on some of these videos. And she said, I howled with laughter. I keep all of his cuttings from the examiner over the years. Uh, I have them all. Uh, I'd like to wish uh, Reggie the very best of luck in the future. And that's from Margaret in Dunmanway. And I believe Reggie is with you and would like to talk to um, people, particularly people in the county of Cork, Reggie. Well, first of all, could I, yeah, I mean, can I just say to Margaret, first of all, uh, thanks very much, Margaret. I'm very sorry to hear that you only live in Dunmanway. Um, that's a desperate thing. I'd say to yourself, Patricia, you work above in Mallow, am I right? In saying yeah, that? I, I do, I do. 
I mean, that's that's dangerously close to a number of awful places like Limerick and Kerry. So, you know, just I'd, I'd hate to live up there. I, I rarely go to North Cork. We've had a good shower down actually for the you know the show on the Everyman. Now we you know we'd a busload in from Cantor there, um, last night. But you know, it's a nightmare then for the Everyman because you get the fumigators in after that, you know, <laughs> clean the whole area and things like that. And again, no offense to the people at Cantor, sure they're doing their best. I know they're doing their best, but um. No, I'm delighted. I'm, you know, there's people, you know, it's, it's great. Obviously, uh, West Cork is the only part I'd go to. I wouldn't go near East Cork, obviously. So that's full of Northsiders playing hurling with their greyhounds. <laughs> so, uh, you know, West Crookhaven, really, if I'm going to the county, really, I tend to pull down the blinds and the old Range Rover so I don't make eye contact with people going down through Bantry. But I, I'd head down west. I'd go way west, you know, maybe down to Crookhaven or somewhere nice like that. For the yachts in Crookhaven, is it? It is, but I mean, I wouldn't go ashore, obviously, because you'd run into the kind of ever Douglas types, you know, with their BMWs and stuff, roaring at each other about the price of their kitchens. Awful kind of common people. So I'd stay out in the yacht. You're better off. You'd stay out with your own types. <laughs> uh, come here. You, you really are fantastic. How did last night go, night number one? Were you nervous? Well, are you, are you asking me as straight? I'm asking I, you uh, straight now as fast. Do you past. know what? I wasn't. I wasn't, Patricia. I, I, we rehearsed it so much um, that I get to the stage where you kind of want to go out in front of an audience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're, you're just rehearsing it in front of four or five people who've seen it four times in a row. So uh, I wasn't too bad. I weren't. The first night I went out, you know, you just don't know what to expect. But again, once you get out there and you see people and, you know, Margaret there now in Manway is a good example. Like they've been, I've been so lucky with the people who like Reggie and have kept the clippings of Ask Audrey and have, you know, supported me with the videos and things like that. Um, and they're there. Actually, they want you to succeed. Do you know they what do. I mean? That yeah, they're not they coming along to see a fail. And you, over the years, and has anybody ever taken offence? No. Okay. Um, you'll get the odd. You'll get the odd person, but you know, on social media, and people say that social media is toxic and all that. But I, I don't really find that. Like, I, I think, like the whole point of Reggie is he's a clown. You know what I mean? And he's he might be punching down now, and he makes jokes about Northsiders and things like that. But they always win out over him. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I'm not saying anything nasty. I'd never pick on anybody in particular, unless, like, Liz Truss deserves to be picked on. I think Boris Johnson deserves to be picked on. There are certain people that, you know, can take it, it and yeah, then, yeah, or deserve yeah. it, or both. Yeah, um, yeah. But no, I haven't really. Um, people are, I think people kind of see what it is, that it's fairly, you know, it's it's in good spirits. Like, it's not... It's there to make people laugh. I'm not trying to make a point particularly or to put anyone down necessarily. Yeah, and, uh, it's fun. It's, I mean, the, it's... the people who like it the most are the Northsiders and I'm at them all the time. Yeah. Like, they think it's, they love it. <laughs> they put on Northsiders. And did you, have you recently moved to East Cork? Stop, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be kicked out of the Black Rock Road. I'm actually down in Ballycotton at the moment, yeah. So we're, we're getting our house done. So I'm in the village at the moment. But we live... Uh, about four kilometres just kind of towards Cloyne so we're in a place Maytown just near Churchtown south there Okay, um, all right. So, so lovely I live living out in the country it's great I love it okay right. well done okay and tickets are available if you've uh, you, last time was your opening night you're on tonight tomorrow yeah. and Saturday and are there still some tickets available? There are they're there online are. or you can go into the uh, ticket office and just a heads up by the way we have a new show coming in March as well so if you're wait, looking for a Christmas present ideal Christmas present if a uh, whole brand new show if you want to give a Christmas and present and you might come so back and talk to us in advance of that 
Absolutely. I might even go up to Mallow. You never oh, know. Yeah, we would love to have you. <laughs> we'll roll out the red car- carpet. Uh, Pat, listen, right. really enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. And thanks to Reggie right. as well. God bless. Look right, after yourself. Bye bye. Right. That is uh, Pat Fitzgerald, a.k.a. Reggie from the Black Rock Road. An evening with Reggie at the Everyman uh, runs tonight, tomorrow and on uh, Saturday. Uh, you can get onto the Everyman website for uh, tickets. 0818 103 103. Your pet questions, uh, please, because Pickett, our resident vet, will be joining us in a couple of minutes. Um, John Cashman has just been on to us, our own John Cashman, uh, to say as part of the week-long 25th anniversary celebrations, Ballantotis Community Alert are hosting a photo expo Ballantotis past and present. It is on tonight from 7pm to 9pm and it's on in the community centre in Ballantotis and all are very welcome to go along. Thank you, John, for that. Hope you're keeping well. OK, let's take a break and then we're back chatting with Jane Pickett, our resident vet. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. And we're off to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett, our resident vet, joins me. Good afternoon, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you're very welcome. Let's get straight in with uh, questions. Hi, we have a mixed bred dog. It's a Labrador mix. We clean her ears weekly using a damp tissue as she shakes her head a lot. She doesn't have any discharge, doesn't appear to have any pain, but one ear does appear to be a bit more itchy. I'm wondering, could Jane suggest any eardrops that we could use? Thanking you. Okay, so this is an interesting one. I think well done on trying to to clean the ears weekly. That's a good step. What I will say is that sometimes cleaning the outer part of the ear, so what we call the pinna or the ear flap, the entrance to the ear canal, may not be getting to the root of the problem. So it may be that you may need an ear cleaner, which will go down into the ear canal and it's very sticky, kind of oily stuff. It'll emulsify the wax there and bring that up. So normally ear cleaners that are safe for going down to the ears are normally available from vets so you could always have a chat with your vet about getting a cleaner sorted but what I will say is I think maybe a trip to the vet is in order first so although there's no obvious discharge from the ear I think that the sign of head shaking is a real telltale sign that they're itchy and scratchy down into the ear and they can't get it so if your pet is head shaking or ear scratching or another common one is kind of dragging their ears off the carpet or off the floor then it is a key sign of an ear infection so a number of things can cause ear infections sometimes they can be little parasites called ear mites which are easily enough treated but sometimes it can be a bacterial infection or even a yeast overgrowth because it's a nice warm wet area down in the ear canal so it's a lovely place for bacteria and yeast to thrive so they can be quite pesky it is really important to get your little dog's ears checked out And it may be the case that your vet may look down with a special tool called an otoscope, which allows us to see deep down into the ear. But it may be that they might take samples from the ear as well to look at under the microscope. And it's it's always really interesting. Sometimes we can even see the parasites moving if they are there. But if there's a bacterial or yeast infection or overgrowth, we'll be able to see that too under a microscope. And it just means that your vet will be able to prescribe the best treatment for exactly what's happening for your pet. And subsequent to that, they may be able to advise you on kind of a longer term cleaning program and safe products to clean the ears with. Now, there's one thing I'd like to flag at this point. And it is, please don't put household products down your dog's ears. 
this is something I encounter all of the time. So really lovely, well-meaning owners may have read on the Internet. And there's lots of good information on the Internet, but there's also lots of bad information on the Internet about different ways of cleaning their dog's ears. For example, coconut oil, uh, olive mm. oil, things like those going down the ears. Absolute disaster can cause an awful lot of damage. So it's really, really okay, important to careful. make sure that, the, yeah, please be careful and use a cleaner that you've got from your vet that they, they're happy as a safe product because you can really do a lot of harm messing with ears. So it's just okay. important to, to go to the professionals. Okay, a listener who starts the text with, Hi Patricia and Jane, we have the best doggy ever. Doesn't everybody say that? Aww. She's a cockable. She's almost coming up now to her first birthday. Just wondering when or do you ever stop worming dogs? Should a dog go for a regular checkup just like humans do? perhaps every 12 months. Our previous dogs were always out in the yard, working dogs, cattle dogs, whereas this one is a much-loved, pampered pooch. Um, and we just want to do the right thing by her. Thanks, as usual. Perfect. OK, so really, really well done. This is the kind of this is the kind of text that makes my heart sing because there's somebody who really wants to be proactive about their dog's health, which is brilliant. So um, your lovely little dog I would suggest continues having deworming treatment for the rest of their life. Now, the interval at which that is required is a little bit different when they're a young puppy. So it's required much more frequently because they're much more prone to worms when they're very young, let's say less than six months of age. So worming might be required even every two weeks to every month in a young puppy, depending on their age. But once they hit the six month of age mark, every three months is really adequate for deworming. So I suppose what I will say is make sure you're using a reputable product that works well and is safe for your pet. So usual places you can get that from are from your vet or from a local pharmacy. And you will require that on an ongoing basis. Now, what I will say is that there are wormers sometimes incorporated into external parasite prevention products. So things like flea, flea and mite and tick treatments. And sometimes they're more frequent, but that's okay. It's normally if it's a combined product. So if you have a product that you know has wormer in it as well as the flea treatment, it's really important to follow that uh, particular product's guideline because it will depend on the, the compound, the medicine in it as to how it works. And if you're unsure, just ask your vet and they'll be able to guide you as to the correct interval. But for a bog standard basic wormer, every three months is the way to go. As regards uh, kind of checkups, I'd really advise it's good practice. I suppose the, the key thing I would normally say every year ongoing is that pets will require annual vaccinations. It's like, it's like us when we got our COVID jab, we needed boosters. So to keep the immunity high. And that is exactly the same case with vaccination in dogs and in cats. So with dogs, they will require an annual booster. And it's really, really important. So, you know, if we live in Ireland, we know that we're never too far from a rural area. And in rural area, some of the diseases that we vaccinate against that can be very serious, life-threatening, but preventable diseases are absolutely rife. For example, lepto, which is a bacterial disease, is absolutely rife in kind of areas where there'd be rat waterways. So if you go for a nice walk in a woodland with your dog, you need to make sure they're protected and up to date on their vaccinations. So the time at which they have their vaccination every year, normally at that appointment, your vet will do a, their kind of full annual health check. So a full physical exam and asking some screening questions to you essentially about your pet's habits, how they're doing and covering any concerns you might have. So that's a really good time to bring up any concerns you might have about your pet. In older pets, so in dogs, let's say over the age of six or seven, 
they'd be classed as geriatric, even though it doesn't really seem that old. So for those pets, I would normally say it's safest to have a few more checks in the year. So I'd normally recommend a geriatric health check every six months or so. So that's just an extra little health check where your vet can just make sure that there's no early signs of disease that can be detected because the earlier we detect problems as they age, the earlier we can intervene and the the longer we can keep them well. Yeah, for. So and it's, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like humans. Our early, early detection exactly. is so important. Now, I don't know if you can offer advice to Alice. Um, it was around the middle of September. She came across a fox. It was in the care area. Now, she said she did report it to the ISPCA. She also tried to contact a local uh, vet, but she said she's recently come across the same fox. Uh, it's no coat and its eyes seem to be almost uh, closed with infection. And she's wondering, is there anywhere else that she can contact when it comes to wildlife? Would you, would you know where she um, could go? OK, I, I, I suppose off the top of my head, the first protocol would be the ISPCA. Now, there are some other organisations within the country that are responsible for wildlife. And I, I believe there is a government department involved with parts of wildlife that is responsible for some of the wildlife in the country. But I think it may be limited by species, it might be things like deer, for example. Um, but I, what I'd say is if you haven't had any success the last time, just bring it up with the ISPCA again and maybe ask them the direct question. Yeah, because they, 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 I, the, what, I, what I thought about when I was reading out the text there, because I saw it come in earlier, they an inspector might have gone out and just couldn't find the yeah. fox and is unaware that the fox is still obviously struggling, Absolutely. really struggling. Yeah. yeah, And it's horrible That's to see thing, an animal in that kind of pain. And I suppose by the nature of being wildlife, you know, they're not exactly going to walk up to a human or an ISPCA inspector that may be trying to do their very, very best for that I animal. Know, I know. They do have limitations because they are wild animals. So OK, and very, well very quickly, a 12 year old staffy in very good health recently started barking for no reason at night. Fine all day, but we come, come seven or eight o'clock at night, the barking starts like mad. What would be causing him to suddenly start barking just at that particular point okay. at night? If he's 12, um, so a little bit on the older side, it could be kind of almost um, cognitive dysfunction. So a little bit of kind of mental decline, disorientation, that's possible. We see changes in behavioural patterns sometimes. What I'd say is if, if that's the only sign, just see how you go for the next week or two. But if it persists and if there's any other concerns with your dog, pop to your vet just for a full check over. And very much like I said, you know, regular checks and older pests are really important so it's better to be overcautious rather than undercautious but I suspect it may just be a little bit of little bit of old age and potentially a little bit of disorientation Okay all right. listen as always uh, Jane thank you for that we'll chat again next Thursday Brilliant Thanks for joining us that is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood uh, Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group Mm -hmm. That's where I leave you for today thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow and don't forget tomorrow is the first Friday for the C103's Free Fuel Friday uh, in association uh, with East Cork Oil your chance to win a 100 euro fuel voucher Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy the insurance group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie normally being a little extra might be a bit much but not when it comes to healthcare. that's why united healthcare's health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.